When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to A Court of Fairies and Fangirls. I'm Alex. And I'm Sarah. And this is a Sarah J. Mass fan podcast where we are obsessed with her books and can't stop thinking about them or talking about them. So we figured why not record us thinking and talking about it. We're going to break down chapters, go through each book separately, go into character analysis and any thoughts or kind of theories that we have about books, characters, plots, etc. And maybe play some fun games along the way. Exactly. So welcome and enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. This is a mini-sode. It's another talking theory, but it is the most special talking theory the we've most. done yet. <laughs> um, we have the incredible Emily of Emily's Theories with us today, our favorite theory creator. Emily, thank you so much for being here today. No, thank you for having me, guys. I'm super excited. <laughs> um, okay. Well, Emily, um, we would love to get to know you better. So can you just introduce yourself and kind of give us a little bit about you? Of course. Um, so I'm Emily, kind of suggested in the name. Um, <laughs> I'm 24. I'm from Australia. Um, I'm a psychologist. It's my first year as a psychologist. So just finished six years of uni, which was pretty long and crazy. But in my spare time, I'm obviously a big reader, especially of SJM books. And I also um, love coming up with theories and posting it, you know, to you guys, which is lots of fun. And I'm very keen to talk more about those today. <laughs> I love well, that. good. That's, that we are so happy that you're here to talk about theories. <laughs> um, so how did you get into SJM? I don't have like a, a cool story. It was really only just during COVID um, and I downloaded TikTok for the first time and that's actually how I got exposed to SJM and those books in the first place. So I started with Akatar during that time period, got instantly hooked as I think is the experience for most people, um, then progressed on. I think I read Crescent City next and then Throne of Glass last. Okay. Um, yeah, which is a bit of a different um, sort of progression to most people. Um, and then as I was reading, yeah, just kind of came up with lots of different ideas and wanted to share them with people. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like my my story to SJM. <laughs> I, I feel like that order of reading is really helpful to coming up with theories because we we did SJ, or SJM. <laughs> We did Akatar, then Throne of Glass, and then Crescent City. And I feel like Crescent City is – oh, which, by the way, we need to highlight everyone. This is a spoiler-filled episode. Yes. <laughs> we have mentioned that at the beginning. Spoiler-filled, mass multiverse, have read anything before you keep listening if you haven't. Why have you not finished reading her books yet? Don't do that. Then come back here. Um, so I feel like that's such an interesting order because the concept of the mass multiverse didn't get like really introduced until Crescent City. I feel yeah. like that's where, maybe not that it got introduced, but that's where it really started to come alive. So I feel like you're almost more prepared to look for things in Throne of Glass, whereas yeah, in the yeah, other way, we're not looking for that at all. I think that, yeah, that's actually really, you know, 
really accurate because why would I look for things to cross over when... Yeah, you just thought it was a different book. Right. The only time where, like, I think the first time I thought of something was when I read Throne of Glass and it was like Aelin falling. And you're but like, that's the very last book. So by the time you're there, it's too late. And you're like, oh, that's like, maybe that could have been Farrah and Reese, but like right. not enough that I was like, oh, crossover, mass multiverse. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I don't know. And there yeah. are actually so many clues in Throne of Glass that you wouldn't expect. Like even from the very first books, there's just little bits that you're kind of like when you're reading and you've already read Akatar and CC, you're kind of like, hang on, like that connects. So yeah, it's so interesting. <laughs> well, so you kind of touched on it, but how do you create theories? Like how did you become so good at this? Are you like a super <laughs> person anyways that loves to just like take notes as you go and pick up on things or how did this come about? Yeah, so I feel like my way of coming up with theories, I don't know, it's maybe a little bit unconventional in the sense that I feel like there's almost two ways that you can come up with theories. The first being like the readers who are rereading the text, annotating, very like close examination of what SJM is saying. But there's also kind of like almost like an external approach you can take where like sometimes if I'll notice a word and then I'll Google what that word means and kind of like backtrack on the mythology or the fairy tales that SJM is pulling from and almost like a guessing game of what she trying to tell us here with that sort of clue. Um, Or I'll almost like take a storytelling approach where it's kind of like, if I'm SJM, what would be a compelling story to write with this Hmm. sort of plot Um, and kind of thinking, well, if she goes with this story, is there actually any evidence to back that up? Um, So one of them, and I think we'll be chatting about this theory later on, is that there's statues in Crescent City that kind of appear as if they're alive almost. And the basis for coming up with that theory was actually thinking like, oh, imagine if SJM did this story where like people are kind of like trapped in stone and then thinking like, okay, is there anything to actually back that up in the text? So there's a lot of theories over time that I've kind of come up with like thinking, oh, this would be a really cool story, but it just doesn't have any backing. So it's kind of like a scrap that. Um, So it's, yeah, kind of like, a bit of both really, like the external sort of thinking of stories and the mythology, but then some theories are, you know, you're rereading text and something pops up and kind of making those connections that way. Yeah. I gotcha. That's um, so cool. Emily, have you ever done the Enneagram test? Yeah, I have. <laughs> I'm big into MBTI. Are you a five no, by chance? I'm four wing five, if you know. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're talking and I'm like, this girl is the biggest researcher. Like she's... <laughs> Be a five. Um, flattered, thanks. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I, I'm always so impressed with your theories, and, I, and hearing how you come about them is so interesting. Because when you ask those questions, like even just now, where you're like, "What if people are trapped in stone?" Like I'm immediately like, "Oh wait, there's that thing where that happened, and that thing where that happened." But you have to have that foresight to ask that question, and so I'm just like, I'm so impressed. Um, okay. <laughs> so let, let's talk through, so some of our favorite theories, we've probably discussed these on the podcast before, but just to like remind people and maybe just go a little bit deeper in with you, we have a couple we wanted to highlight mm-hmm. one of which, and also we do so many of these. I can't remember which ones we've actually talked about before. I, I so sorry guys. <laughs> um, Aelin creating Perithian blue my mind. Emily, <laughs> like we we weren't even doing a talking theory episode, but I read that and I was like, I'm cha- like I am adding an addendum because I can't not talk about this. That one was so 
I was blown away. Like we ended our episode early, I think. Yeah. I was just so astounded when you were we were like, this. we don't know what else to talk about anymore. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit? Can you um, give kind of like a high level overview of that theory for folks? And I don't know, let's just gush about it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's kind of one of those theories that like I'm putting it together and I'm like, I hope this makes sense because there's so many small parts that go together to make the whole. So mm-hmm. I guess the foundation of the theory is that I was reading a section, I think it's in Akawa, where Amarin is kind of talking about her origin story. And she's like, I came through a rip in the sky or something like that. And then I instantly thought of in Kingdom and Kingdom of Ash when Aelin, she's kind of like fighting against the gods and then she rips a hole open in the sky. And I was like, that's such specific wording and like mm-hmm. potentially not a coincidence. And it also ties in with this overarching theory that myself and I know a lot of other people subscribe to, and that's that Phone of Glass is actually taking place in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of thinking that um, when Aelin kind of ripped that hole in the sky, it was actually, you know, around 15,000 years ago. And that's around the same time that Amarin then looked up into the sky, saw the rip or saw the hole, and then came into Perithian. Um, but it's also said in the Akatar books, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's something like around that time that the rip is appearing is about the same time that Perithian was also being created and formed. So it's kind of like I'm thinking like if this is all happening at the same time and Throne of Glass is potentially taking place in the past, then is something that Aelin did that day, did it then create or forge Perithia like did her actions kind of lead to that and it kind of also relates to I think in the very first Akatar book um, there's like a a mural or something that there's like a a cauldron and the hands flowing and like there's like little symbols which really sounds like the word marks yeah so and then I kind of thought oh I mean it's a little bit outlandish like I don't know if there's anything else that can really like back this sort of thinking up But then I kind of remembered that the cauldron has, you know, the three legs that seem to Mm -hmm. sort of power it. And that as well sounds very similar then to the three word keys and thinking that, you know, does that mean that the cauldron is a word gate? And there's hints to that as well. Mm -hmm. And then we know that when Aelin in Kingdom of Ash ripped the hole in the sky, etc., she actually put those three word keys into her arm. And then there was also the stuff about her creating the lock. Um, the lock whole narrative, I find that kind of vague and hard to follow, but um, the lock was also known by the witches. I think it's the Eye of Elena, but then it was also known as, I think, the Eye of the Goddess or something like that. And the witches, I think it was created by Rhiannon Crockin. I, I'm, rem- I'm going from memory here. <laughs> um, and Crockin actually means cauldron. So I'm yeah. like... When I read that, I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Like, see how there's so many, like, different little pieces. It's kind of like, yeah. And so um, thinking that, you know, Aelin had the three word keys in her arm. There's the three legs of the cauldron. Rhiannon Crockin made this lock that Aelin is forming during this time. So is there something going on here that, you know, and then when Aelin closed all the gates, there's, like, some sort of phrase where it's, like, and all the worlds overlapped or something. So it's it's just all of it just kind of gave me the vibes of like, was Aelin's actions paramount to creating Perithian? Um, and then thinking of that and thinking that there's some sort of correlation between the cauldron and the lock and what's going on. 
um, that the lock was also associated with the three-faced goddess and, you know, what the witches, the goddess that they um, sort of revered. And um, then when Elaine and Nesta go into the cauldron, um, I think the other girls at Brylin, is that her name? Um, it's kind of like... Yeah, so it comes to represent like the maiden mother crone, like Elaine being the maiden, the younger one, um, Nestor is the mother, and then Brylin went in and she was turned into an old woman, so kind of like the crone. Um, so just thinking that all of this is kind of lining up. Um, so, yeah, then wondering if back to that sort of painting or the depiction that Pharaoh saw, was that kind of alien, like the golden hands touching the cauldron with all the word marks flowing out, like was that representing alien? Um so yeah, that's kind of like an overview of the theory. It's it's one of the more complex ones that is a yeah. little bit hard to describe. Um, but I definitely think it's um an interesting thought, especially I, I personally like the theory that Throne of Glass takes place in the past. I know people have strong opinions about it and some people really don't like it. Um, but yeah, I think it it kind of lends the way for a really cool narrative going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't love the idea of it taking place in the past be, in, for one reason only. And that's, I would love to see Aelin again. Mm-hmm. Like I love her so deeply that I, I want her, I want her to make an appearance in CC3. I want her to somehow be connected into this like multiverse concept. So if I don't see her again, I'll be sad. But if this is what happens, I'll be okay with it. Mm-hmm. I I just, I remember reading this one and I was like, it makes sense. It makes sense. Life. And if SJM knew like of this and it wasn't what was happening, if I was her, I would change. Yeah. My <laughs> be how it is. Cause I just, that's so creative. And so it just, I, I'm all in. I'm a hundred percent a believer of this one. I am too. And I have to ask, do you like remember these phrases and like know exactly where they are in the book. Cause like Alex, you could ask her like, Oh, when did this happen? And she can like pull, she like opens to the page in the book. Like she just has like spatial awareness. Like, do you read on a Kindle and you just like search like, Oh, rip in the world. And you like find it. Like, how do you do that? I'm definitely more of a Kindle searching. I don't have that good of a memory. So yeah, I'm definitely not like that. That's (laughs) impressive that you could do that though. Well, it's a spatial thing. Like, I, I can't remember, like, direct quotes. But mm-hmm. if Sarah was like, oh, what happened in this part? I'm like, okay, that was about, like, a third of the way through the book and was around this area. So, let me – it's just a spatial thing. I'm, I can't Very, memorize words for anything. It's talent. No, we <laughs> definitely – We are relatively – I guess we can't call ourselves new mops anymore. But we're, we're – we have youngins and babies destroyed our brains. So, yeah. I feel like I can't <laughs> anything anymore I can't either yeah I just yeah I'm a Kindle as I said I just look things up and there's so, how many books are there now like 16 or I think we're about something. to be at 16 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're all huge so for anyone to remember yeah. all the different parts hats off to them yeah. that's amazing yeah the the search function is yeah I had to ask so handy I was just I was just curious I was like do you really remember those words and like know exactly <laughs> how to find them? <laughs> definitely not <laughs> So, well, on this thread, though, real quick, Emily, do you, when you create a theory and you're building this, do you, mm-hmm. like, do you kind of believe the every theory you put forward or are there some theories you put forward where you're like, oh, this could be it, but I'm not, like, totally bought in? Yeah, I think for most of my theories, I, I honestly don't think there's a single theory that I'm 100% convinced will happen. Mm. And I wish there's, like, almost a section I could put on TikTok that puts a disclaimer being, like, I don't really post theories because I 
I think that they're right or I want them to be right. It's more, it's almost like, like almost like storytelling in a sense. Like I'm not there to be right. I'm there to just kind of pass the time with everyone until the next book and kind of question like, what if this happens? And I'm not saying it will happen, but kind of just like that, what if? So I think there's only a couple of theories that I would be like, yeah, I can genuinely see this happening. And not to say that the theories I post uh, like so outlandish that they couldn't happen but right. yeah I'm never saying like yes 100% gotcha that's fair I feel like you're very thought-provoking in your theory you are oh, nothing else. <laughs> um speaking of thought-provoking another theory of yours we loved is the statues in Crescent City being alive mm-hmm. another one that I am 100% bought in on I'm very yes I'm all, all or nothing no, this one I think these. was this was the most I think of all the theories that I've read I was like this it's the coolest. Yeah. And I think it's going to happen. Like I'm convinced at this point. I don't know how it couldn't happen. So Emily, will you give an overview of that theory for folks? Yeah. And I feel like I agree. If there's any theory of mine that I had to pick is likely, I feel like it could be this one just because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of evidence for it. Um, So essentially this one came about um, not only thinking about the story of, you know, what would happen if characters were turned into stone, but then I think in the very first chapter of the second Crescent City book, Bryce is looking at the statues and then she kind of has like a creeping sensation that they're alive and watching her. And I kind of read that and I was like, you could just ignore it and kind of assume that SGM was just being a little bit wordy or just, you know, having fun with her descriptions. But then she never yeah like it could it could mean something so I was like well what if it what if it did um and then I kind of ran with that thought that there were people kind of trapped within the stone and then as soon as I had that thought I was like hang on in Akasif we have that scene with Nesta in the prison Mm -hmm. and that scene is super vague like I reread it a lot and it's kind of hard to understand what's going on or what she's getting at um but essentially Nesta gets the sense that there's Faye trapped within the stone um and I think she's even like holding the harp and then it says something like the harp was pushing her into the rock or the stone and then fusing her soul with it so I was like there has to be some sort of connection between statues stone and then what's going on in Crescent City um especially knowing that this happened with Nesta in the prison and the prison likely being the dust court, which we think is probably connected to what's going on in CC, potentially connecting those two worlds. Um, And then also then thinking of the covers of the Crescent City books, if you actually get like the full HD photos up of those, they are of statues as well. Um, And then I believe on SJM's Pinterest, she had, a few photos, one being of like a man on his side and he's turning to stone, like half of his face is in stone. So, yeah, it's crazy. I never thought it. You said it. I was like, I'm a believer. Like instantly. I was just thinking all the references. As soon as like Alex told me this year, I was like, yeah, I remember this. I remember this. It has to be. Well, and then I think there's this second part to it, unless I'm like confusing things where it's like, Hunt and Lydia, mm-hmm. yeah, are are they gods? Were they like were they Preserved? statues? Were they like? It's just insane. Yeah, because if you read, the, especially the second Crescent City book, and keep in mind how many times SJM links, especially Hunt and Lydia, to statues, statues of I think Luna for Lydia and then Fur for Hunt. It's it's so repetitive that it's like 
she wants us to think of this. So it's like there has to be some sort of a connection. And I think there's also a scene where Rune is first talking to Lydia and he's like, oh, she's using like words that are super old. Like I wonder right. if she's an Asteri, like she must be thousands of years old, which again is such a weird sort of description to note. So it's yeah, kind yeah. of tying back into that thought of like, are they connected to these people that were in stone? Like, I don't know. But it's a cool thought process to have, and especially knowing that the covers are these statues. Like, it's right on the front. Like, mm-hmm. and, and SGM has said multiple times that these covers have clues in them. So, yeah. right, so, yeah. exactly. I just, I, so I'm also a Swifty. And so this <laughs> concept of like these like little Easter eggs coming together to think, <laughs> I feel like I'm coming alive whenever I like hear. <laughs> This I'm just like I'm just in awe. Like I am so I'm so here for it. I'm like yeah. I'm so hyped right now. I'm when is I need this book? I know so soon. <laughs> soon. Um, that also makes me want to ask: How many times have you read all of these books, Emily? Is it like when you read it the first time, you like catch a phrase and you're like, "Ooh, let me research this," or are you like rereading it and you catch it on like the third time? No, I'm definitely not a rereader at all. I've probably only read all of them once. And I just I'm so like, impressed. yeah, and I just like remember certain phrases, or as I mentioned, like if I think of something, I'll search it in the Kindle and right. try and figure it out that way. Yeah, that's amazing. That's so impressive. I literally read Throne of Glass one time, and I can't remember anything that happened <laughs> past like book two. And then there's like scenes from a couple that I remember. But I, I was telling Alex, I was like, I'm gonna have to reread the whole series before we do our analysis of it because I don't <laughs> remember anything. So I'm the same though. My memory isn't that great. <laughs> That's so amazing. It doesn't sound like it, Emily. No. <laughs> um, well, speaking of like fun and like creative theories and, and these like Easter eggs, Bryce's beast form. Here's the thing. High level, like the spoiler is, is it a Pegasus unicorn like Jelly Jubilee? And it's like, if you ask that, you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's such a fun idea. Mm-hmm. That would be adorable. Yeah. Right. That would, that, that would just be fun. But the train of thinking you went down to get to that, mm-hmm. I was like, this is Easter egg central. <laughs> uh, like looking at like what's on SJM's desk. Like tell tell us more about all of that one. This is kind of similar to the Aelin theory where it's like lots of little parts coming together yeah. to make a whole. Um, and I think it really first and foremost relates to the theory that Bryce is going to be High Lady of the Dust Court. Um, I know mm-hmm. it's kind of a theory that people are very conflicted on, you know, how much they want Bryce to be a part of the Akatar series going forward. But I'm right. definitely on that train and I'm kind of keen for a full multiverse crossover. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess then thinking that if Bryce is potentially a High Lady, well, then what would her beast form be? Um, and then also thinking back to Queen Thea, who it's it's kind of hinted that she was either an equivalent to a High Lady of the Dust Court back then. Um, and then if that's true, then what was her beast form? Because we're told, you know, time and time again throughout both Crescent City books that Bryce and Thea are so similar in so many ways and multiple characters will say to Bryce, like, oh, you're just like Thea, you're going to have all of her crazy powers, which we don't even know what those are yet. It's kind of left as a question mark at the end of, you know, CC2. Um, So I guess following that train of thought, um, I think one day I was researching The Last Unicorn, um, which is a book that SGM has mentioned multiple times that she loved and she was inspired by. Um, And there's a character 
in that book that is the unicorn lady. I think, I don't know how to pronounce her name. I think it's Lady Amalthea or something similar to that. And instantly that name, Amalthea, and then Thea of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, Crescent City, I was like, there's potentially a connection here. Um, And then if you actually look at photos or images of her, she has a marking of an eight-pointed star. um, And specifically that star is on the top of her head. And it's in identical positioning to the star on the CC3 cover, Mm -hmm. like that mysterious woman, yeah, has the exact same marking on the top of her head. Um, And in The Last Unicorn, that marking was actually symbolic of where her unicorn horn (laughs) is supposed to be. Um, So I was thinking, okay, could it be the case that if SJM is kind of inspired by this narrative, then was Thea was her beast form back then potentially a unicorn pegasus? And if that's true, does that mean that Bryce, if she's going to once again kind of rule the dust court, will her beast form be a unicorn pegasus? And then you think about all the other hints in favour of that, you know, even just the Jelly Jubilee. Um, Mm. There's little unicorn pegasuses um, hidden in all of the covers of the Crescent City books. Um, And even the fact that we're told in the Akatar series that the Pegasuses came from, I think, yeah, the prison island and that they're now kind of Mm -hmm. seeking refuge in the day court. Um, So there's just a lot working to this narrative. And even in the reveal video for CC3, I think SGM had a little My Little Pony on the desk. In a later interview, she said that she keeps items on her desk to remind her of the current book that she's writing. And she mentioned that that the My Little Pony Pegasus doll is explicitly related or inspired Jelly Jubilee. So I was like, there's a lot going into here and it has to lead to something. Like, I don't think it's just going to be a cute little toy that Bryce has. I do think it has a bigger role to play. Um, And so, yeah. And then I think a final thought from that theory was, we're kind of told that back in the olden days of all of this history, there was some sort of fight between Thea and Peleus and he stole her sword and presumably the horn. So mm-hmm. I wondered if the horn was actually the horn of like Thea's unicorn mm-hmm. beast form um, and that we're told that the horn can only work with kind of like starborn magic mm-hmm. going through it. Um so I thought, wouldn't that be cool if kind of like the big reveal for the horn is actually tying back to all of this? Um, it's so, yeah. cool. <laughs> so cool. I would love it if like Bryce was in Akatar and she was a Pegasus. The, a unicorn Pegasus. It just, it would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I'd be here for that. Wasn't there like a whole Sailor Moon thread on this one there also? Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, but it, I know Sailor Moon got like because it was like another thing on her desk, right? Was there was like the a Sailor, Sailor Moon pen? Yeah, wild. Yeah, all of these pieces. It's just it's so crazy. She's such a mastermind. Yes, she is. I'm convinced. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love those so much, Emily. I'm so grateful for you making these theories on a regular basis and just bringing such joy to like us and the community. Oh, um, <laughs> hopefully this is like, I, I'm guessing because you keep doing this, it's fun for you. Um, what are some of the, your favorite fe- theories that you've ever created? Or seen from uh, other good or seen from others, yeah. Um, probably for my favorite theory, I had to actually think about this one a little bit but I think 
kind of tying into the whole dust court conversation we've been having, um, one of my favorite theories is that I think towards the end of CC2, there's kind of like a scene where it said that the dust court was in a near permanent state of twilight. So when you read that, you kind of think like, oh, first you think like, you know, this is dusk, like we're getting to the dust court, you know, that's what SJM is hinting at. But then when you actually unpack that sentence that the dust court is in a constant sunset, I was kind of like, that's a little bit strange because how can they like freeze the sunset in that domain because we're told you know the night court it isn't always night like they don't have control over the sun so I was thinking like what else could this be hinting to um and it's definitely one of the more it's a complex theory as well but essentially a summary or a brief summary of it is that um the Avalon Island that we're told about in the Crescent City series is essentially matched up with the prison island in Prithian um and that they're kind of like two halves of a whole that they both make up the dust court and that um, because there was all like science behind it but essentially when it's daytime in one world it's nighttime in the other so you have this constant contrast between the light and the dark and that this constant light and dark sort of contrast is actually what is creating the constant dusk imagery Um, so yeah kind of like and then when you put it together, knowing that Avalon is kind of associated with, you know, shadow people and then potentially maybe where Truth Teller came from mm-hmm. and then um, the prison island potentially might be the starlight sort of half because I think we're also told that Thea's daughter, even though Thea apparently just had starlight powers, she had a daughter that had starlight and shadow. So it's, again, this cross between starlight and shadows so kind of thinking like these two 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 islands that kind of go together to make the whole of the dust court split across two worlds that kind of create a light and dark imagery that's dusk does that kind of make sense (laughs) it makes total sense and that's I love that too because if that's connected to Perithian and like I'm pretty sure Rune's mom is from that island too and that's where he gets those shadow powers so like that's the really clear connection between like him and Reese. Cause yeah. I know there's yeah. other theories too of I I've read theories about how the Illyrians maybe were originally like part of the dust court, mm-hmm. but it got like absorbed into the night court when the Island fell. And that's why the yeah. night court is like so large and like Illyria is close to that Island. Mm-hmm. So it just, it helps bring even more connection. It really does between yeah. the two of them. And there was something too about her dad uh, Bryce's dad, the reason she, he wanted her to marry Cormac mm-hmm. is because that island had like an extra layer of protection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the Asteria couldn't get there, which also would make sense. Totally lends itself to this mm-hmm. theory. Yeah. Another part of the theory towards the end was that if this is true and there's kind of like these two islands that form the dust court, then I think it would make sense that for the half of the book where Bryce is in Perithian, that her narrative is going to be about exploring the prison island in Mm. more depth. And then the CC half is going to be Rune and the other characters potentially escaping to Avalon because, as you just said, it's the one place that the Asteri can't get into, so they're protected from them there. So Mm. you kind of have both characters on both islands at the same time and potentially we may get a scene at the end where they're able to open up the gate that was once there and I I personally hope that the CC characters do kind of cross in to the Akata world if only just to see a scene where we have 
Rune and Reese kind of looking at each other and being like, yep. oh, my God. <laughs> so I think that would be cool. That's amazing. Um, obviously, there are a lot of other folks who make theories out there. Have there been any theories that you've seen where you're like, dang, I wish I had called that one? Yeah, that is. I thought of two. One's a little bit controversial but fun. Um, but the first one that I had, um, so it's credit to our uh, user on TikTok, Hi Queen Farah. I think her name is Whitney. And ever since she posted this theory, I think about it so often. Um, it's, it's a little bit grim, but it's it's quite fun. And it's essentially thinking about kind of the vibe you get from reading Crescent City, that their world is kind of close to destruction. There's a lot going on. It kind of seems like a war is about to break out, not only from the Asteri, but we have the rebels kind of going crazy with what they want. Um, and also kind of like this repeated Ragnarok sort of end of the world kind of clues that you're kind of getting from that series um, and noting that Ragnarok and in a lot of other similar mythologies, there's always some sort of giant flood where it's kind of like the world mm-hmm. is flooded over um, and, yeah, obviously all life is kind of brought to devastation in that sense. And we actually have a few clues about that within the in the series. So I think in the first book there's a mention on the news that something like you know, it was the rainiest spring on record and how if you read Crescent City 2, even if you go on your Kindle and search, you know, rain, storm, it's always raining within the series. And I think there's also the River Queen who's constantly threatening, you know, if you don't do the right thing, I'm going to flood Lunathian. Right. Um, so lots of sort of overt storm and flood imagery coming through. And then um, Whitney also mentioned that in Kingdom of Ash when Aelin is flying past the world. She sees Perithian, she sees Lunathian, but she also sees a world that's entirely covered in water and thinking about, I think it's Meryl, is that how you say her name? Um, in Akasif that mentioned that the worlds are all kind of stacked on top of each other but separated by time. So thinking that, I don't know, maybe this world covered in water is what is still to come. Um mm-hmm. And then thinking kind of the thing that really hit the nail on the head for me with this theory is that the fourth Crescent City book is House of Many Waters. Mm, so thinking that if we're going to get some sort of devastation happening and then it kind of ties into the prophecy around, I think it's, you know, when knife and sword are reunited, mm-hmm. so shall our people be, kind of hinting, at least I think, that we're going to see the Crescent City Fae merge with the Perithian Fae in some sense. And I think that could be one way that it happens, that the rifts and the gates are all going to have to open up again to let the people out back into their home worlds or into different worlds that they can escape into. Um, And also Rune's prophecy as well, that the royal bloodline will end with him, that if kind Mm -hmm. of their world is brought to an end, um, that there's not going to be any royal (laughs) bloodline at all because the houses will all be gone um so yeah I I saw that theory in it I just think about it all the time especially knowing that there's lots of ominous words from SGM about you know the first three Crescent City books being Bryce and Hunt's story and kind of almost yeah almost like it's going to end which is I don't know I just don't know how they're going to do that within one book um mm-hmm. so yeah I think about that one a lot well and I think Sarah and I also are like, there's four houses. There have to be four books. But yeah. it, but it, you're right. It feels like we've been talking about it as if it's a trilogy. Right. And it's like, 
it's not a trilogy. There has to be a fourth. There has to be. I would be so mad if she had four <laughs> houses and named and did three books with the house names. Like I can't. It's unacceptable. To me. <laughs> yeah, hundred um, percent. That's so interesting, though, because I also never really thought about House of Many Waters as mm-hmm. the title and like what that could mean. Yeah, it's just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think it also could potentially tie into Elaine's book because I think. There's a passage in Akasif where they're talking about the three sister mountains and they mention mm-hmm. under the mountain, um, Ramiel, and then the prison island mountain. And it kind of seems like each sister is associated with the mountain, right. which leaves Elaine and the prison island mountain. So kind of thinking that Elaine's story is likely going to tie into the prison island, the dust court. So I don't know if we get some sort of situation where we have devastation in Crescent City, then will it be up to Elaine's story to kind of bring all that together? I don't know. It's just cool to think about. That's so interesting. Elaine's the puzzle. She's the biggest puzzle piece to me. She is. I feel like she's going to have this epic story and we've all just completely downed her for the past. I so agree. So So many people will say like, oh, you know, Elaine's so boring. Like she doesn't Mm -hmm. do anything. I was like, I think that's on purpose. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to be a so much more compelling story if we kind of underestimate her to begin with and she kind of blows us away. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely key to that. Yeah. What was the second theory that you had in mind? (laughs) This one, yeah, it's it's controversial. So if if you like Hunt... If you're listening at home and you like Hunt, um, you may not like this theory. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But this was um, created, a few of my friends in a group chat were pondering this. Um, I think specifically my friend Emma. um, And it's kind of, I guess it started from first pondering, is Hunt and Bryce, are they endgame? And as a hypothetical, if they're not endgame, then what could possibly happen between Bryce and Hunt to sever their relationship? So some people think that Hunt is kind of doomed to die, which is sad. (laughs) Um, But another possibility that my friends were thinking about is that he could potentially be a villain or um, kind of used as an Asteri tool or has been used as an Asteri tool. Um. (laughs) and I guess then on that train of thought and also I should say it's not that I want Hunt to be a villain or that I hate Hunt I get that a lot like people say like oh you must hate this character it's not true at all it's really just you know thinking about different what-ifs really um so yeah kind of just thinking about you know what could Hunt possibly do that would be so you can't redeem it with like Bryce couldn't forgive him and there's a scene um in the very like the very start of the book um I'm gonna I'll just read out the two quotes I think it's easy if I just read it out all right so let me find the first one I don't like where this is going though (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even the biggest fan of Hunt Mm -hmm. but I'm just I'm very nervous about what you're about to tell us I know SM confirmed that they're mates Right. In her like interview that she did. Yeah. But I don't know if they're endgame. Like I'm convinced that she's saying they're mates, but I don't know if they're endgame because why I- would she admit they're mates otherwise? 
I don't know, to throw everybody off. Like I get seeing mates and then maybe he dies or maybe he forgets everything. Yeah, or... I, I've been of the train that he's either going to lose his memory mm-hmm. entirely or die. I'm, I'm convinced he's going to sacrifice himself for everybody and actually die. I know we like to I could say pull that. back to life, but I think he might actually, actually right. die. Okay, but what's the villain theory? Yes, keep telling us. <laughs> Okay, wait, before I read out the two quotes, I'm just going to point out a few things as kind of like a pre sort of text. So before Hunt met Bryce, we know that he was Micah's personal assassin. So he did Micah's dirty work and he didn't know Bryce back then. He had no personal connection to her. He wasn't in love with her or anything like that. Secondly, we're also told that Hunt was asked to kill Fury twice. Like Mm -hmm. someone up up said, you know, please go and, you know, take care of her, but then the order was stopped. So we're already told that not only was Hunt Micah's personal assassin, but he was already tasked with taking out one of Bryce's friends. Um, So this is the quotes that my friend found. Um, So this is one about Hunt. So it starts with, Please. It was always the same word, the only word people tended to say when the Umbra Mortis stood before them. So it's kind of getting at that when Hunt is killing people, they will always say, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then when we get the audio from Danica's death, then we only get two words from Danica and it's please, please. So what? we're told that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh no. We're freaking out right now. I mean, I don't like Danica, but for Hunt to be the killer, that's that's so interesting. I know. And like I guess you could chalk it up to potentially being like a coincidence. But I explicitly remember a podcast that SJM went on and she was talking about the Crescent City series and she said compared to her other book series. She actually really planned out um, all of the books and she said you'll be reading things throughout both of these books and you'll think that she's being excessively wordy or just too detailed but then later on down the line you'll read it back and be like oh my god that was actually foreshadowing so I just I feel like that I don't know I don't believe it is a coincidence like it's just my gosh I think you've blown my mind Emily like this might be (laughs) the biggest revelation of my life (laughs) That would be so terrible, which would mean he's still lying to her. Like, yeah. And that's the other thing is that the very first scene is actually not told from Hunt's point of view. It's told from Isaiah's, which is really kind of weird when you think about it. So when we first meet Hunt the night of Danica's death, we don't get it from his point of view. It's told from Isaiah's. And there's a scene where they're about to play the audio and talk about Danica's death. And Hunt goes really weird. He like, because says no no turn it off that sort of thing oh my god it's also like isaiah says to himself like i'm supposed to think hunt is my friend but every cell in my body is telling me to stay away from him that he's a monster or something like that so like when you put it in that context i don't know (laughs) emily you have done it again (laughs) my mind is literally i'm convinced hunt's bad like you have sold me hunt's evil we just it's so funny because so Emily, on our on our podcast of this season, we're doing um because we're all waiting for CC three. We had just finished CC two, and so we have like a special like interim season where our main episodes we're interviewing a bunch of authors, but our mini episodes we're kind of like catching up on a lot of like SJM things that maybe we didn't do the first time leading up to this, and that's where this episode's coming in. 
But we did a hunt 2.0 because our first breakdown of hunt, we were vicious. We bashed <laughs> so hard. That we were so terrible hard. Terrible to him. But then when we reread Crescent City 2, we were like, actually, we forgot about this and we didn't think about that. <laughs> and if this is true, we're going to have to do a hunt 3.0 3.0 and oh be like, he tricked us. I, I'm i just reeling. <laughs> this is insane. Like, I cannot. That would be crazy. That would be so. I, I think it would be epic. Like, honestly, because I don't like when it's always a happy ending. I love yeah. when there's a major twist that is not a good thing. And it would explain that maybe they're still mates. Right. But it doesn't mean you have to be like lovey-dovey happily ever after. There's also like um, a part of that scene on Danica's death where like uh, Bryce notices that the cameras were cut, that they weren't working. And then in CC2, when Bryce and Hunt are getting down in the gym, Hunt cuts the cameras. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think you guys have solved it. Like, you know the ending to CC3. Like, I'm... How do we get on this group chat? That's oh, what I want. Oh my gosh. This is I know, the... they're so smart. Oh, it blew this... my mind when I read that. I was like, that can't be a coincidence. Like, and it's the only mention of, like, that please, please. Uh, it's just... I know. I think about it every day. <laughs> I wonder... I don't know. It like makes, I feel like it would make more sense. Like why would SJM reveal that they're mates? Like there's no, like everybody wants to be surprised. Like why would you confirm their mates if there's not like a major twist to it? But then like, he's still fighting the Asiri. So like, could there be almost like a third there where it's like, you have the rebels, Mm -hmm. you have the Asiri, but then there's also kind of like hunt in between, kind of like how Fury's in between. Yeah. I don't know. Even the fact that he has, you know, two names and we still don't really know what the whole Orion connection is. And usually when SGM introduced two names, there's some sort Mm -hmm. of reveal to that second name, especially because he, like Hunt hates the name. Like he doesn't like anyone calling him that. And then the only people that seem to call him Orion are like the Asteri Mm -hmm. or like it's mentioned in like there's a scene in CC2 with the dragon character. I can't remember her name. And then. You know, it's like, oh, do you know him? Oh, I know Orion only by reputation. And then she's kind of like frowning and like, it's just like Bryce was like, oh, that's awkward. And then moves on. It's kind of like, there's mm-hmm. almost like this stigma around the name Orion or like what it's associated with. So I don't know. I'm a bit suspicious. <laughs> like it's Orion so like now. controlled and like Orion does the evil stuff. And then Hunt is like the cool, fun, sunball loving, like backwards hat wearing guy that we love. I'm stressed. Like, is he Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Like, is he legitimate? I don't know. I, I love this theory. I feel like that theory alone is already going to change how I read CC3. Yeah. Going in. I'm like, it's going to be less about I think there will still be a little bit of like, oh my God, we need to rescue Hunt and Rune. But there's going to be a part of me that's going to be so suspicious of Hunt at every turn now. But that's what I want. I don't want it to be easy and lovey-dovey. I want, I want epicness. I want, yeah. I like when I there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was our one like negative crit- critique of the Throne of Glass series yeah. when that ended. We were like, too many people lived, which yeah. is it, like the worst, like it, of all the feedback to give. That's dumb feedback. But also. It, no, that honestly like made me not like the ending as much because yeah. everybody lived happily ever after. Except I am the same. Yeah. Especially yeah. with the Akatar scene where like Reese and Amarin die and then they're just brought back to life. Like right, yeah. it feels like it lowers but, the stakes. Yeah, it does. But I'll I'll say circling back to your 
alien created Prithian theory. Uh, when I read that theory, I was like, okay, if this is true, this makes me hate Rune and Amr or Rune. It makes me hate Beast <laughs> and Amran coming back through the cauldron a lot less because it gives it a purpose. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like, Ooh, I like that. And so I was like, if this theory is true, then I actually don't hate yeah, what happened still... there. It's not my favorite, but I wouldn't hate it as much if it was true. Right. Because you're like, oh, there, it wasn't her just being cheesy. There was a reason right. for it. But alas. Yes. But yeah. So side tangent. But yes. Yes. Um. So Emily, we've been taking up so much of your time, but want to ask just one more question. Are You've already given us so many theories to talk about. Well, this, <laughs> one, this is an unpublished one I haven't seen. I know. I know you're about to ask if there's any new theories that well, are unpublished, but that was it. I, that might be it. And if that's it, I'm okay. But I was going to ask, Emily, were there are there any new or unpublished ones that you're working on? Maybe it's close to being done or we just haven't put it out yet that you want to share or premiere here today? Yeah, um, I don't really – I mean, I do have like – kind of like a tentative one. It's not as exciting as the hunt villain one. Um, (laughs) But the other day I was just thinking about, um, and I mentioned it before around how SJM said that the first three Crescent City books are Bryce and Hunt's story and how I think Mm -hmm. that, I just don't think that makes a lot of sense. And especially because then people will say, oh, it's just like Akatar where the first three books were, you know, dedicated to Farrah and Reese. But I think that was only the case because it was told, those first three books were told from first person POV. So we couldn't explore the other characters anyway. Um, But that's not the case in Crescent City. We've been getting the side character story already. Like we've had POV from Rune, um, even from Ethan. So when they say that like, oh, you know, Bryce and Hunt are finishing up in the third, I, I just, I don't get how, like, why wouldn't they be in Crescent City 4 or future Crescent right. City books? Um, and especially considering that that would mean that if that is true, then you'd kind of have to wrap up Bryson Hunt's story within one book. And I think a big part of their story is going to be bringing down the Asteri. And I don't know. I mean, maybe she could do it. But considering that the Asteri, I feel like they're bigger threats than any villain we've had before, predominantly because they control the whole planet. Like, Everyone is under them. So to defeat that sort of power in one book, I don't know. I I personally just can't see that happening. So, again, that's kind of why I'm like, I don't know, it's a little bit weird. And then you'd also kind of have to wrap up all of this foreshadowing around Bryce. You know, I think Rune's last words to her are something like, long live the queen. And there's all this foreshadowing about her position, like going to a higher position of leadership Um, and also all the dust court stuff like I know people say that oh Bryce is just gonna stay for a little bit in CC3 then she's gonna pop back home but I don't know I just I well I guess what I would say to that is what would be the point then of all of this these connections to Perithian because if if Bryce just wanted to go to another world to get some fighting tips or to get some knowledge then she could have actually gone to hell or even the throne of glass world like she doesn't she could she doesn't need all these connections to Perithian if that's all she has traveled to do. But the fact that SJM since book one has foreshadowed this connection, even the prophecy, like, you know, when knife and sword are reunited, it's kind of telling us that there's some, there's some, something bigger going on. So, so yeah, I don't know. I just don't see how it could be wrapped up in one book. So I'm kind of thinking like if Bryson Hunt's story is just within the three books and what does that actually mean? The first one 
which I personally believe, but I know it's controversial, is that Bryson Hunt's story is they're not endgame. Like that's what SGM is getting at. So Bryson Hunt is the first three books, then Bryce's story will continue, but with someone else. Um, the second option I thought of though is that I know potentially what I was speaking about before about the flooding, that there's going to be some sort of like infinity war ending to the Crescent City books where it's like everyone is Ted and gone and then it's going to be up to Elaine <laughs> and the next book to kind of either resurrect people or fix what happened, go back in time, some sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third sort of situation I was thinking about is um, maybe connecting back to the statue theory that perhaps it means that Hunt and Bryce are going to be revealed to be like, you know, Thea or Thur. There's going to be some sort of like changing of their identity. We're going to find out more about that and it's going to lead into something else. I don't know. So that's kind of what I'm toying with at the moment. Like what could that possibly mean? I love that. Yeah. I think that's a great way to end it. Thinking thinking ahead to CC3, what in the world that book could possibly be. I'm so nervous about it. I know. Me too. I'm so excited. (laughs) Um, well, Emily, if folks want to, you know, catch up with you and hear more of your theories, um, where can they find you? Um, so mostly on TikTok is where I post most of my theories, which is, as you said at the start, Emily's theories. Um, so yeah, and always happy if people want to send questions in DMs. I'm a bit slow with my DM replies because I try and get off TikTok sometimes, but always happy to have a chat, you know, chat theories with people. It's always good fun. <laughs> Yeah, I mean this. This was a blast. This is probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. This is the coolest thing we've ever done. (laughs) That means a lot. Thanks, guys. Yeah. So, Emily, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. We wish you nothing but the best, and I'm sure we'll talk more soon in DMs. We cannot wait to see the new theories you come up with. Um, But we're so grateful you were here today. Thanks so much, guys, for having me. It was so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, for everybody else, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to A Court of Fairies and Fangirls, a Sarah J. Mass fan podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe and let us know what you think. Check out our Patreon for more ways to support and connect with us for as low as $1 a month. You can also find us on Instagram at at fairies and fangirls. Jump in on the conversation and we look forward to chatting with you more next week. Bye. Bye.